0: the eleven disciples gathered in Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and he said to them, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, weddings are on the horizon in Amford Evangelical Church. I don't know whether you knew this, but in the last three, four months, three young couples have had the big question popped and the answer returned in the affirmative. And it sparked, I should imagine, a mad rush of activity, planning, preparing a wedding, frenzy, juggling of dates in diaries to make sure that things fit in and fit in at the appropriate time and order. And one of the things that each of those young couples needs to do before they get married is to come up with a guest list come up with a list of people they want to invite, to spend and to celebrate that special day with them. And having come up with a guest list, they'll have to send out invitations. Invitations with times and dates and meal options. I wonder how you feel when that invitation comes, when it's time for the invitations to be sent? Does it get you excited? Oh, the idea of being able to go and to, to celebrate, to buy a new hat, to try on a new suit, to have the fish or the chicken or the lamb or whatever's on the menu. Does it make you feel uncomfortable? Does it make you feel scared perhaps? Oh no, not another situation where I have to make pleasantries and small talks with, with folks I don't normally like to spend time with and to rub shoulders with aunties, uncles, friends of friends that I'm going to meet for a day and then never meet again. Or maybe it makes you feel sad because you know those invitations are going out and you haven't received one. You're not on the guest list. You didn't quite make the cut. I want us to have that idea of invitations in our mind as we come again this morning to the Great Commission. If you didn't realise, if you're here for the first time, or it kind of passed you by last week, we're going to begin our year as a church listening to Jesus' final instructions as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Words which have carried weight for Christians and the church throughout the centuries. But as I reflected on these words this week, I, 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 I stumbled across the thought that these, though they are the final words are never, ever the first words that Jesus speaks to his followers. In the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, Jesus' command to go is spoken loud and crystal clear. It's direct. It's unambiguous. These final words are, well, they're just that. They're final words. This week, as I've reflected, uh, I've thought about the, the sense in which, before receiving these final words, every follower of Jesus might actually hear another instruction, or more rightly speaking, an invitation. These are the final things Jesus says to us, but for each of us, Jesus will firstly say this. Come. Come to me. Isn't that true? For all of us who are believers gathered this morning around our screens or gathered in the various spaces that we meet in a Sunday, we are people who have heard and received that invitation and responded to that invitation from Jesus to come. To come in from the cold and find the warmth of his hospitality, to come in from the lostness, from the wilderness, from a life that is unsafe and that leads to death and come and find safety and security and life. That we've heard Jesus' invitation to us to come home, to come home and finally be in the place, the space, the relationships that we're supposed to be in Jesus's invitation to us to come and to join him the son at the father's table which is set and prepared for feasting Jesus's first words to all of his followers is this come to me every one of you who is wearied who is weighed down who is stressed who is strained who is bedraggled who is outside who is lost who is without hope and find in me rest find in me comfort find in me forgiveness find in me purpose and hope and restitution restoration in fact isn't that Jesus's first words to us come In Matthew's gospel, to the the people he is now speaking to at the end in chapter 28, in in chapter 4, this is what he says. Follow me. Come, follow me. And there's this wonderful promise recorded elsewhere. When Jesus says, those who come to me, I will never turn away. Before we hear any other words from Jesus, we hear this invitation to come to him without hindrance, to turn from ourselves, to turn from our old ways and to trust in him by saving faith. Isn't that marvellous that Jesus is one who invites us first and foremost to come? And yet, here we are this morning. We're in the Great Commission. We're going to be here for the next couple of weeks. And the words on Jesus' lips are clear, crystal clear. Jesus says, Go. The invitation that Jesus offers to anyone as they begin to follow him is never the final word he speaks. I cut short that quotation about the first followers. In fact, in Matthew chapter 4, this is what we read. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come said Jesus, follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they heard their master's voice and they obeyed. They left their nets, it says, and they followed him. You see, woven into the invitation that Jesus extends to each and every one of us to come to him, interwoven in that is the command to go. Those Jesus invites to come, he also commands to go. To put it another way, as I've read it this week, saved people are always sent people. Saved people are always sent people. In John's Gospel, Jesus said this to his followers, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. In Matthew's Gospel, in the Great Commission, Jesus says, all authority is mine, and I say, to you who follow me, to you who have come, go. So here's a question to get our brains ticking over this morning. Is the Christian life about coming to Jesus or going for Christ? Is it about accepting that first invitation, or is it about obeying that later instruction. Are those two things even mutually exclusive things? Well, let's think about this jug of water, this bowl of water that you might have seen off to the side. I think the Christian life is something like this, and this will help us to see how it's the, the both and. It's the two together. Here is Jesus, this spring, this fountain of living water, who says to all who are thirsty, come to me and your thirst will be quenched. You will never be thirsty again. The Christian life is about coming empty as we are in need of the water, the thirst quenching, life-giving the water that Jesus offers. We are to come and to fill ourselves up. That in Jesus, there is always enough. That we can be filled up when we come to him. But that's not the end of it. That is the beginning of it. It is by no means the end of it. Because Jesus puts us and places us in and around and amongst other folks who, like we were, are empty. Who are thirsty. Who are searching and needing that life-giving water to quench for themselves. And so he tells us, he commands us to go having come and been filled, to go and to take that water, to take him, to take his kingdom, to take what he is about and to to give it freely to those around us who need us, need it. Jesus, who has invited us to come, then sends us. Go, take that with you. And we are people who can keep coming back to Jesus and staying full so that those around us who are empty can also be Filled up. You could also uh, use the illustration of a flame, of a candle, of a fire. That Jesus is this all-consuming fire and we're invited to come and to be set ablaze by him by drawing near. But we're to take that fire, that flame, that light that he has given us and to take it into dark places. That what we have received, we are supposed to offer and to give. In fact, when you stop and when you think about it, that is the pattern, that is the picture that Jesus uses to describe the Christian life. And he himself embodies, isn't it? A couple of times in John's Gospel, when Jesus is speaking about being that living water, and he says those who come and who drink, they find this fountain, they found this life, and they too become streams of living water. Or elsewhere, where Jesus is described as the light of the world, where he describes himself as the light of the world. He says, those who come to me will no longer be in darkness, but will have light. They won't just be in the light, that they will have light. Able to take that light and shine it into dark places. Jesus is one who exemplifies for us through his life and through his actions. That what he has isn't to be kept to himself, but is to be spent for the value, for the enrichment of those around us. That just because he is full, just because we come to him and we are filled, that doesn't mean it stops there. We should be spreading, we should be giving, and that is where life truly comes. So I say to you this morning, if you are not a Christian, there is this invitation to you today. Jesus is one who says to us, come. He is one who says to you, come. And that invitation to come is to find forgiveness in him. It is to find hope for a future in him. It is to find a status and an identity in him. But it's to something more than that as well. It's not simply about being invited to come and to belong, although that in itself is a wonderful thing. It is an invitation to come and to be a part of something, an active participatory part of what he is doing, something lasting and something truly important when we say as a church as christians you should come to know jesus you should come to trust in jesus you should depend on jesus for life that isn't just about receiving that is about being invited to be a part of what he is doing cosmically speaking that is a wonderful invitation and our encouragement to you this morning if you're gathered with us we love having you here is that you will look to jesus And you would respond, that you would be brought in, that you would want to be a part of that. But for those of us who have responded, have heard that invitation, have RSVP'd, yes, we want to be a part of what you are doing, then there are two dangers I want to warn us of this morning as we hear Jesus' command to go. Two problems and neither of them are appealing or useful. I broadly speaking put them like this. The first problem is becoming stagnant water, staying where it is. It may be added to, but it stinks and it causes death. That's the first problem. The second problem is being empty vessels, perhaps offered to others, but ultimately becoming useless. Let's think about that first one, about becoming stagnant water. It, It doesn't even really make sense. It doesn't really even make sense because I'm not sure truly that we can come to Jesus to behold him, to enjoy him, and not want to scream his name from the rooftops. But there it is. More often than we'd care to admit, Christians and the church can become stagnant water. People who receive Christ into us and there it stops. It doesn't Flow from us. Michael Green, uh, an evangelist in the 20th century who I had the privilege of spending some time with, put it like this. The church exists not for itself, for the water to flow into it and to stop there, but it exists for the benefit of those who are not yet members. And here is the warning. The church which lives for itself will surely die by itself. Sometimes we can have this attitude that all Christian life is about is us receiving, is about us being filled, and that is the terminus, that is the end of it. Our gaze never looks up from ourselves or outside of our four walls, and it makes us stagnant, it makes us stenchy, and ultimately it will lead us to death. Maybe it's expressed in that attitude of, we don't mind others hearing, but if they want to know, they know where to find us. That's a dreadfully sad attitude to have where we expect those who are lost to somehow find us in order to be pointed to Christ. Imagine Christ having that attitude of being stationary, of being still, of not wanting and seeking avenues for, for that water, that life to flow out of him. Imagine Jesus holding on to something so that, so that he could benefit rather than us. It wouldn't lead anywhere. It wouldn't lead to hope. It wouldn't lead to life. It wouldn't lead to glory. No, Jesus' pattern that he has lived out is to give what he has. To give the thing which leads him to the point of death. We empty ourselves for the sake of those around us. And that ultimately brings more life, more glory for everyone involved jesus who has invited us to come truly if we have responded if we know who he is is too good too good to keep to ourselves that's the first problem potentially for us as christians or us as a church that we are stagnant water that we seek to fill ourselves up with jesus and it goes nowhere very big danger danger number two is that we actually Having come to Jesus, having responded to his instruction to go, to to, to spread that light that we have, that flame that we have, to share that living water that we have so enjoyed, that has so quenched our thirst, is that we've gone, but we've now become empty. That the water that once flowed into us in Jesus has ceased to flow. It's, it's, if you like, the other end of the spectrum, where perhaps Christians and churches have so felt the the pressure of always being active, the pressure of always being productive. They've so caught the vision of the Great Commission of spreading Jesus' glory and his fame to the ends of the earth and inviting others to enjoy him, that they've forgotten to enjoy him themselves. They've sought, perhaps, to seek Jesus with others and become cold towards him, distant from him. They came once, then they heard the command to go, but somehow they missed the idea of remaining and abiding and drinking from him continuously as they go. And that is a tragedy because ultimately we end up being in a place where we're no use to anybody. We have nothing to take when we have left Jesus behind. And those are two real dangers for us here in our church, in our time, in our place. That we become selfish and stagnant and live as if Jesus is simply for us and the Christian life is about fattening ourselves. Truly we will stink and that stench will become death. Or we'll get so caught up in this vision of sharing Jesus and making him known that we'll actually forget him for ourselves. And we'll become fruitless and we'll become ineffective because we can't share a Jesus who we don't enjoy ourselves. So this morning... As we come to that great commission, as I've reminded us that Jesus invites us to come and then commands us to go, he instructs us to go. Here are two things that I think we should be doing big picture wise to make sure that we truly are followers of Jesus, disciples of him, listening to our master's voice. They're two really simple things and I'm going to give three suggestions of ways we can do these things for both of them, okay? Two headlines, three sub points each. We need to fan the flames and we need to spread the fire. We need to fan the flames. We need to spread the fire. Fan the flames of our love, of our joy, of our hope, of our faith in Jesus for ourselves. How do we fan that flame? How do we make sure that we stay full to the brim? That we are filled with living water. That we are In the light and have the light. Three ways. Number one, don't be a stranger. We don't talk about Jesus perhaps because we don't talk to Jesus. Surely the most fundamental element in any Christian's life should be this. An ongoing personal relationship with our saviour. That's what we've been invited into. So if we want to continue to be a people who love Jesus, who wake up with hope, who wake up each day with joy, who seek his peace and his kingdom, then we need to be a people who talk to Jesus, who spend time with Jesus. So if you want to fan the flame of your affections for him, then don't be a stranger you won't fall more in love with him by staying far away don't be a stranger but secondly surround yourself with others who love Jesus and I don't mean by this get into a tight holy huddle to the exclusion of those outside the church clearly I don't mean that What I mean is that there's truth in that picture of calls that come together, who share their warmth, who the warmth of one warms the other and keeps the fire burning. Perhaps part of the reason you have become cold towards Jesus, that your affections have waned over time, is because you haven't surrounded yourself with others who love Jesus. Jesus deeply. Don't be a stranger to him but surround yourself with others who love Jesus as much if not more than you do. Tip number three for fanning the flame is to rehearse regularly to yourself his ongoing grace in your life. I think as Christians we find it very easily to say dispassionately that God has been gracious to us. How has he been gracious to you? How has he been loving? How has he been kind? He sent his son to die for me so that I can be forgiven and I can be with him forever. But the Bible paints a picture, the Bible introduces us to a Jesus who isn't just kind to us once, that is ongoingly gracious and merciful and loving and kind. If you want to fan the flames of your affections for Jesus, then another thing that you can do, apart from spending time with Him and surrounding yourself with others who love Jesus, is to remind yourself, to rehearse regularly His ongoing grace in your life. It's, it's a difficult thing to do, especially for us British people, us Welsh people. We love to complain, we love to mourn. We find it more difficult to share thanks to share encouragements, to look and to see how God is active in our lives. Not has been active, but is ongoing active in our lives. Fan the flames. Don't be a stranger to Jesus. Surround yourself with others who love Jesus and rehearse regularly his ongoing grace in your life. Or what about the other point then? How do we not just fan the flames? How do we spread that fire Listen to this, don't be a stranger. And now I don't mean don't be a stranger to Jesus, I mean don't be a stranger to other people. We cannot share Jesus, we cannot speak for Jesus or live for Jesus in full view of other people if we keep them at an arm's length, if we keep them at a distance. I know we're in a period of pandemic. I know that we're we're still under restrictions and lockdowns and people are scared and people have shielding letters and this and that and the other, but there are means, there are ways that we can still draw close, that we can still draw near to people. We can spread that fire by not being strangers, by opening up, opening ourselves up, becoming vulnerable towards other people listening to them, talking to them. How do we expect to share Jesus with others if we don't know or relate to anybody else? It's obvious. Don't be a stranger. Surround yourself, secondly, with those who need Jesus. I said for the first one, surround yourself with those who love Jesus. Now surround yourself too with those who need Jesus. Can I be honest with you? That when you do, when you spend time in the company of those apart from Jesus, sometimes it can feel like, sometimes it can look like they have life better than you do. That they're exercising freedom in ways that you wish that you could. They have a license to to selfishness and to sin in ways that you're probably envious of. But you know, it doesn't take long spending time with folks. You don't need to look so deep before you see how desperately everyone around us needs to hear Jesus's invitation to come. To find rest, to come. To find peace, to come. To find forgiveness in him. Surround yourself with those who need Jesus. And it might make you feel uncomfortable. It might make you mourn for a while the, 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 the life of sin that you once led, but you spend long enough there and you will see just how desperately people need what you have. Thirdly, rehearse regularly his ongoing grace in your life, not privately now, but publicly. We've trained ourselves perhaps, at the very least, or sometimes the very most, to speak of Jesus, of God's goodness and grace to us in salvation. But we're weak at speaking about how he continues to be a day-by-day God to us, how he continues to be a day-by-day Lord and Saviour, how he is a master whose voice is worth listening to and entrusting ourselves to. If we are truly fanning the flames, by staying close to Jesus, by surrounding ourselves with others who love him, by rehearsing regularly to ourselves his ongoing grace, then we get to spread the fire. We get to spread the fire by being close to other people, surrounding ourselves with by people who need Jesus, and regularly rehearsing his ongoing grace in our lives in front of them. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is one. Who invites and instructs. It's not an either nor, it's a both and. That is a wonderful thing that Jesus calls us to fill ourselves to such an extent that we become an inexhaustible source for those around us. So fan the flame. As we head into 22, fan the flame, spread the fire. That's what it is to live the Christian life. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for the invitation. We thank you for the instruction. We thank you that to be a Christian is to be a part always of something more. Something more than our small and our limited view of life and the world and indeed our relationship with you. Forgive us, Father, that perhaps we have grown cold towards the sun forgive us father that we have become and grown cold to those that you have placed us amongst you promise to be with us you promise to equip us you have sent the light into our lives you have given us the water of life in jesus lord i pray that we will drink deeply from that well we will come close to that fire that we can But be set ablaze by it, Lord, I pray that we would not be a selfish people, a gluttonous people, a greedy people who keep that to ourselves but freely would want to share it. Help us more and more to come and to go, to fan the flame and to spread the fire for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name.